Isaiah chapter 53, I wish to address, this is a great way to start out a, 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 a sermon, I wish to address a damnable heresy that's been around for hundreds of years. And uh, so we need to uh, just go through the Bible and see what it says about it. It's a false idea that God chooses some to go to heaven and others are chosen to be doomed for hell. Can you imagine that? And uh, we've heard of this before, and uh, it does not come from the Bible. If all you did was read the Bible, you would never come to that conclusion. But there are people who, you know, everybody wants to sell a book, and everybody wants to have a doctor, and everybody wants to have a church and a denomination, so they come up with these different ideas, and then they infect uh, other, other people. And uh, so they say, well, you know, uh, God chose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. I remember when I was a little kid, <coughs> we used to, uh, used to play kickball. Anybody here ever play kickball? I mean, that's, they probably can't even play it anymore, you know. I mean, remember you get the monkey bars? Remember those? I mean, you go up on the top monkey bars and, I mean, talk about survival of the fittest. I mean, some of those people just aren't around anymore, especially the one kid in first grade. Uh, I didn't do it, but some kid said, hey, it was like January. Stick your tongue on there. And he's still there. He's still, well, a piece of his tongue is still there, okay? <laughs> he stuck his tongue on there. And uh, <laughs> then, he, then he yanked it off. And, uh, yeah, um, he got to go see the school nurse. <laughs> and, uh, but, I mean, we had, we had uh, you know, those big slides. Remember those metal slides? I mean, in the summertime, you get, you get burned on them, right? And uh, in the wintertime, and then you go down the pole. You'd slide down the pole because that was more fun than going on the slide. And then sometimes I had a big bump in the middle, right? And you go flying. You go off the end into the sand, right? And get contusions and all kinds of great, great things. And uh, <laughs> I walked into a store today. And I walked into two stores today, three stores. And every single person said, can I help you, sir? Nobody's ever mistaken me for a ma'am. And, uh, you know, it's part of going around the merry-go-round. Centrifugal force. You learn a lot of things, right? And kids get thrown off, right? They get thrown off into the parking lot. And then those big tires. Anyway, so we, we were pretty, had some pretty rough stuff. But one of the things we did, how'd you get me off on that, was we played kickball. And so we go around and we pick teams. You have two teams, right? So we say one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Two, one, two, one, two. You have to be on different teams. Two, one, two, one, two. One, two, one, two, one, two. All the ones over here. All the twos over here. That's how we pick teams. It was always pretty fair, right? And can you imagine God doing that, going through the population of the world? One, two, one, two, one, two, one. All the ones, you're going to heaven. All the twos, you're going to hell. Nothing you can do about it. That's your team, all right? That's what this doctrine is that would teach that. You know, God chose, and uh, before the world began, that uh, all the people that he wanted to go to heaven, he already uh, assigned them to go to heaven. He already wrote their name, obviously, in the Lamb's Book of Life and everybody else. Too bad. You have to go to the lake of fire. That's just the way it is. That's a damnable heresy. Now, in this teaching, which is actually quite popular now, what happens here, here's why it's popular. I'll tell you why. Just, just going to melt it all down. We could get rid of the sermon and uh, go eat some sandwiches. I was thinking about the soup. Sandwiches. I'm sure the soup is good. Uh, we, we, <laughs> I don't want to know who made the soup, right? The soup, I'm going to eat a bowl of soup. I'm going to get baptized in a bowl of soup. Somebody's going to throw a bowl of soup at me, okay? Uh, I love soup. Now, um, <laughs> we, here's why. If, if you believe that, then it takes the responsibility off of you to to win people to Christ, okay? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You don't have to go into all the world and preach the gospel because they're already going to get saved. And it doesn't matter because God already chose them. So if God chose them, then I don't have to be a missionary. I don't have to be an evangelist. I don't have to be a personal soul winner. 
it doesn't, it doesn't affect me at all. You know, uh, God could just write it in the clouds and somebody's going to get saved. God could just tap them on the head. And if they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved. They're a one. If they're not going to get saved, they're already a two. Nothing I can do about it. Well, that does away with my responsibility. So that's why it's convenient. That's why it's popular. That's why it's the lazy man's religion, okay? Uh, So the individual person in this doctrine, this teaching, you, myself, or anyone else, actually has no say in their eternal destiny Heaven or hell, the belief falsely so, is that God made that decision for each person and they have no choice themselves. Now, uh, I'm going to name a few names tonight. I may also slay a few sacred cows. I don't think uh, we'll uh, slay them all tonight, but we may get back to it again. Now, uh, those who by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple in Romans chapter 16. It talks about that. We will quote their own words and by their words, they shall be justified or by their words, they shall be condemned. The subject tonight is Calvinism is a damnable heresy. Calvinism is a damnable heresy. Let's look at, you know what? I was going to have like three points and I only got to one. So I'm sorry, Uh, but we'll have one point. And uh, here's the one point. Does God want everyone to have an opportunity to be saved by his grace, to receive his mercy, to have their sins forgiven, and to be afforded a home forever in heaven. That's a long point. I guess it takes up like three points. So let me just give you that point again. Does God want everyone to have an opportunity to be saved by his grace, to receive his mercy, to have their sins forgiven, and to be afforded a home forever in heaven? Now, we can look at uh, theological books, We can look to religion. We can get the opinion of man about God. Now, think about that. We can get the opinion of man. We, uh, I was was, uh, listening to a guy. He's uh, uh, a great uh, debater about the creation against evolution. And he was debating this evolutionist. And he said, uh, can you imagine that you're a person with a three-pound brain and you can figure out all there is to know about God? I thought that was a great point. You know, my three-pound brain knows everything about God. Uh, And so we can get the opinion of man about God or we can open the Scripture and get God's word about man. You know, it's a whole lot better because I'm not going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ one day and give my opinion about God. It doesn't matter what my opinion about God is. I think when we get there, it's going to be so humbling that uh, we're not even going to speak. Uh, we're just going to fall down on our face, and, and that, we don't have an opinion. Uh, my, all my opinions are gone. It doesn't matter. So we need to find out what God's opinion about man is, and we can open the Scripture, and we can learn that. We can see what God says. We can read for ourselves, and we can take what God says without any admixture of philosophy, which spoils, the Bible says, man-made resting of the Scriptures unto their own destruction and the destruction of their hearers. You know, why in the world would somebody want to rest the Scriptures and say, no, uh, you know, if you're going to hell, there's nothing you can do about it. Sorry, I mean, that's really, that's discouraging to me. Uh, (laughs) Our text, Isaiah 53, deals with Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 6. All... We, like sheep, have gone astray. Okay, so that is a universal all. That means every one of us. Every one of us has the same problem. We have turned every one to his own way. Again, everyone, all, everyone. I think God's trying to make a point. And look what it says. 
And the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah God, the creator. And the Lord hath laid on him, and who's him? Jesus Christ. The iniquity of us all. Just one verse answers the question. Let's pray and have some sandwiches. <laughs> okay, we we get a few more. Just one point tonight, okay? So we find here... Our text deals with all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Who caused the going astray? Who is responsible for the turning away? It's clear in this one verse that each person, we have turned everyone. All we like sheep have gone astray. God didn't make us go astray. We chose to go astray. You know, we have a sinful nature, don't we? I never had to teach my children how to tell a lie. My dad never had to teach me how to tell a lie. It came naturally, right? I didn't say, now, son, when you tell a lie, look me right in the eye, smile, nod your head up and down, and look sincere. Didn't have to teach him that. My dad didn't have to teach me that. I didn't have a sister either. So when something broke, oh, dad, can we get a dog so I can blame it on the dog, right? I I didn't break that. The dog, we don't have a dog. Okay, Uh, I got caught. I didn't have to teach him how to tell a lie. I had to teach him how to tell the truth. We have to be told how to tell the truth. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've sent ourselves astray. We've chosen to go astray. Um, we have turned everyone to his own way. We're responsible. It is clear that each person is responsible. When Eve took the fruit, was it her fault or was it God's fault? It was her fault. God said, you can eat of all the trees except one. As soon as she thought he wasn't around... And the serpent came, psst, hey, hath God said? Yea, hath God said, thou shalt not eat? Hey, God knows. This is a fruit to make you wise. Your, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God's. Well, that was a lie, wasn't it? And what did she do? She saw it. She said, it looks good for food. She ate it, and she gave it to her husband. When Adam sinned, was it Adam's fault, or was it God's fault? It was Adam's fault. Wherefore? As by one man, sin entered into the world. We're going to get to that in a minute. Now, if that was God's fault, then the verse should say, Wherefore, as by God, sin entered into the world. You really have to twist the scriptures, okay? Here's our first sacred cow. A popular author today goes so far as to say, and I quote, God wills all things that come to pass. God created sin. End of quote. That's a guy named R.C. Sproul, Jr. In page 54 of his book called Almighty Overall. It's been out since the 90s. God created sin. Wow, that's a pretty big indictment on God. God created sin. God's responsible for sin. Well, that's not true. From reading this fellow named John Calvin. John Calvin was around in the 1500s. He was born in... Uh, London, I believe, or France. He, he was born in France, and then he moved to Switzerland. He was in part of the Catholic Church, and then he was greatly influenced by this guy named Augustine. You've heard of him. He was uh, uh, in the 300s, and he was in the Roman Catholic Church. He was one of the uh, bishops, um, I think the Bishop of Hippo, um, 
and he was very instrumental at the beginning of the Catholic Church in getting all the Catholic doctrines uh, that they even still hold today. And so Calvin followed a lot of the teachings of Augustine. You can read about that. And Calvin wrote a lot. He wrote a lot. The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and it is a tomous volume of work, okay? Um, and he said in there plainly, he plainly states that the Lord predestines some to eternal destruction before their birth. He goes so far as to put it like this, they're doomed from the womb. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? That's a cute little saying. You're doomed from the womb. You're going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. But what a terrible thought. Uh, Destined for reprobation that was determined in the hidden secret counsel of God. You know, everybody who spawns a false doctrine gets, like, spooky about it. Like, it was really a spooky meeting before there was anything. God had this secret counsel, and there was all these counselors, and they were sitting around a table, and on some cloud somewhere, and, you know, somewhere in eternity past, and God determined that all the ones are going to heaven, and all the twos are destined for reprobation. Doomed from the womb, you're going to hell. That looks like a far side cartoon. That's not in the Bible. Okay. What a doctrine. What a terrible doctrine. Uh, I wouldn't even like that. Now, the, the, the mentor of John Calvin, who also taught this damnable doctrine, as I mentioned, was the Catholic monk Augustine. John Calvin taught and claims to get from the Bible that God, to his glory, predestinated most people to eternal damnation. There's more people going to hell than there are to heaven, right? The broad road. Hell hath enlarged itself. Uh, so he taught that, that God to his glory. Can you imagine putting that word in there? God to his glory predestined most people to eternal damnation in hell without them having any choice in the matter. Well, that's interesting. You know, I uh, saw uh, today I had a, an ad come up on Facebook and it said, um, Killing Calvinism by a Christian book distributor. So I thought, it looks like an interesting book. And I usually don't read contemporary authors uh, too much. You know, there's most of them, just how wonderful they are and how wonderful you could be if you follow them. And I like the old ones that tell you how wonderful God is and teach you stuff about his book, even if you don't even know their name, right? You start reading it like, wow, that's in the Bible. I can't believe that. And uh, but so I thought, well, that's interesting. So I, I clicked on it and I, I looked at it and I thought, killing Calvinism, that's good. I'd like to do that myself. I had a picture of a tulip on there and there's a wilting, right? And I I thought that's good but what it said actually was that the people who are teaching this doctrine of people who go to heaven are determined to go to heaven and you have no choice in it people are going to hell have no choice in it you're going to hell uh he said that this is a, a wonderful thing that calvinism is making a new resurgence today and it's popular and don't kill it from the inside right so don't uh don't um uh don't make the people who are against it like me uh upset that that we we don't listen to them and we kill the thing and we we kill the goose that's laying the golden egg so far is what they're saying so i, I didn't read the whole thing but i read the review okay so the idea was Calvinism is a good thing, and keep it going, all right? It needs, uh, it needs Roundup. That's what it needs, even if it's illegal, right? Pour the rest of it on there and kill it, and kill that flower. Now, um, our text, Isaiah 53, verse number 6, answers the question, For whom did Jesus die? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Here's the question. If Jesus died only for some, then why would God have to lay the iniquity of us all on him? If there's more people going to hell and they can't do anything about it, then their iniquity didn't have to be laid on Jesus Christ. You get the logic here? I mean, it's right here. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the self-existent creator God, would Jehovah God lay the iniquity of us all on his only begotten son if it was only necessary to lay on him the iniquity of some? That doesn't make any sense for me. to me. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's so many scriptures. We're just going to look at a few of them, but I think these will be helpful because you're going to run into this. You're going to deal with this. Um, I, I met some folks, and they're, and they're very nice folks. I met some folks about maybe two years ago, and uh, it just happened in the middle of their Bible study. And so I got into the middle of the Bible study, and I got invited to the Bible study. I was just some guy, just, you know, happened on walking on the Bible study. And they said, hey, Jordan, this is in the Bible study. I'm like, yeah, sure. Hey, well, let's go check it out. Uh, so <laughs> I went over there, joined the Bible study, and uh, come to find out. And they're just nice people, but come to find out that they're into this whole big thing of, you know, God elected some to heaven and some to hell, and there's nothing you can do about it. And the fellow actually wrote a pamphlet. And so he gave me the pamphlet, and he goes, here, read it and see what you think. And, uh, and he came to church, and I was glad that he came. Um, I didn't convince him. He didn't convince me. But there's so many scriptures that, that tell us contrary to that. And there's just so plain. So, so when you have an opportunity to answer that question, hey, uh, take a look at this. What do you think? Well, we've got so many scriptures that refute that damnable heresy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for how many? All. Then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Christ died for all. All means every one. If I had a dozen donuts... And uh, the box was full in the morning, and then in the evening it was empty. And he said, Pastor, how many did you eat? And I said, I ate them all. It doesn't mean I ate four of them, right? It means I ate all 12 of them. Now, I used to be able to do that. I don't do that anymore, okay? I eat 11. <laughs> Here, have a donut. No, it feels bad. No, I, there, were, there was a box of donuts sitting in that office. I told Brother James, I said, normally I would have eaten two or three of these. I didn't eat any of them. I didn't even sniff them. I looked at them, and I said, my cholesterol wasn't like that. So, uh, but if I said I ate them all, it wouldn't mean I ate four or I ate six. It would mean I ate 12. If Christ died for all, then he died for everyone, not just the twos or the ones. He died for everyone, and we saw it twice. All means every one. Now look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. And uh, if, if you want to jot these down, maybe jot them in your Bible or jot them... Uh, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, if you do, jot them in the person's Bible next to you. Unless they're bigger than you. Okay? Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9. But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. It doesn't say some men. Can you imagine? I mean, just think of the great hymn, this, right? In our songbook. Jesus paid it some, some to him I owe. <laughs> Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed some of it white as snow. <laughs> I mean, just the, the <laughs> preposterous thought, right? That's just the hymn book. It's not inspired, okay? But I'm just telling you, there's, there's a lot of history here, okay? Uh, why was it necessary to die for all? Why did he taste death? For every man, Galatians 3 answers the question. 
Galatians 3. Galatians 3. So, you know, the person who believes that this doctrine of Calvinism believes that God ordains everything in your life. Did you hear about the Calvinist? He fell down the steps and broke his arm. After he got down to the bottom stair, he said, thank God that's over. <laughs> I've got foreordained that he fall down those stairs. All right. Galatians 3, verse number 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that what? Believe. So all are under sin. Christ died for all. He tasted death for every man. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sinner has had their sin offered to be paid for by Jesus Christ. All they have to do is what the last word says, believe. They have to believe. Some believe. Some don't believe. From where did sin originate? Well, let's look at that. We said we would, Romans chapter 5. Sin did not originate with God as R.C. Sproul. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Sproul. Sproul. It was foreordained, I say it that way. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. Death passed upon all men. Why? All have sin. Romans 5, verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received, receive abundance of grace... And of the gift of righteousness, I want you to hold on to this, this little passage, okay? I see two words that keep popping up here. They both start with a G. Shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, shall the free gift come upon all men under justification of life. Okay, so it's very clear here. Jesus said, uh, I'm paying the justification for all because all are under condemnation so it's it's across the board for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous moreover the law entered that the offense might abound but where sin abounded grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord the universal condemnation of all is answered by Christ's death for all now there's two words repeated over and over again that both start with G did you see what one it's one of them grace what's the other one Gift. Did you see it? It's over and over again. Grace and gift. God is a gracious God who gives the gift of eternal life. If you were preordained to go to hell, then you can't receive that gift. It's a free gift, but you can't receive it because you're already a number two. And sorry, you're going to hell. No, that's not true. Let's look at more scripture that shows Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, John 1, which taketh away the sin of some. No, no, he doesn't just take away the sin of some. John chapter 1, here is the declaration of John Baptist. And as Jesus makes his 
stage appearance, if you would, makes his appearance known upon uh, the stage of the world that he is the Lamb of God, John the Baptist declares. Verse 29, John 1, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, if Jesus was only taking away the sin of part of the world, don't you think he would have corrected him? Hold on a minute, cousin. (laughs) Uh, Wait a minute. I'm only taking away the sin of the elect. I'm only taking away the sin of part of the world. So some of the world, half the world, a third of the world, whatever it is. No, he, he let it go because it's true. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, here's an interesting one. Look at John chapter 3. We're familiar with so many verses in John chapter 3. And I want to uh, bring it together here with Numbers chapter 21. So uh, if you want to start turning to Numbers chapter 21, that's good. Sometimes I go so fast and uh, I try not to, but... We read so fast and we turn to passages and some people say, I, I stop, slow down. So I'm going to give you a minute to find that one, all right? John chapter 3 and verse number 14. Now here's Jesus speaking, right? He's talking to who? Nicodemus, right? Okay, so a lot of famous verses here. They're all good. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Remember that story? Okay, we're going to look at that in Numbers 21 in just a second. Even so, same thing. Must the Son of Man be lifted up? He was lifted up. He was crucified. And all of the doctrines that go with his crucifixion, and there are a bunch, all of the things that go along with the crucifixion, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. All the doctrinal details involved. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Sounds like the choice is given to the person. The person has the opportunity to believe or not believe. Look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It wasn't because God elected them and God blinded their eyes, and God said, you're going to hell, and you've got no say in the matter. Okay, so remember what Jesus said in verse 14. Look at Numbers 21. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, so we understand in Numbers chapter 21, the people were complaining. And God sent fiery serpents among them. Let's pick it up at verse number 1. And when the king Arad, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities, and they called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness, for there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, here's the admission, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, 
Those elected will live, and those who aren't elected will die. It's not in there, is it? Okay, I added that, okay? Everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Who's the responsibility on? The person that got bit. Moses said, all right, folks, everybody who's still alive that got bit by the snake, I'm putting this serpent of brass. I'm going to hold it up. I'm going to lift it up. Everyone who wants to live, look. It's up to you. You're not elected to die. You're not elected to go to the grave. If you look, you'll live. Verse number nine. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that the serpent had bitten any man. When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. It wasn't automatically you're going to die. It was you have a choice. Okay, If you don't look, you're going to die. If you do look, as, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We've all been bitten by the snake called sin. And we're all going to die. and We deserve to go to hell. And Jesus said, I am lifted up. And if you will look to me, you can be saved. But the choice is up to you, not up to God. God decided already you could be saved. Here's the idea. God cast a vote for you to go to heaven. Satan cast a vote for you to go to hell, and he gave you the ballot. Which way do you want to vote? Smoking or non-smoking, right? For all eternity. <laughs> when sin, verse 7, they were dying, the same Lord, verse number 8, gave Moses the one way to live. It was for everyone that is bitten to look. It was for any man, in verse number 9, and Jesus told us in John 3, verse number 14, he was as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The last verse in John chapter 3, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It doesn't have to do with God. It has to do with every person. God already decided that he loved us. For God so loved the elect. For God so loved the world. For God so loved all. He wants all to go to heaven. Okay, let's look at some more verses. John 5, verse number 24. John 5, verse 24, and it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word... And believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And by the way, nobody ever passes back from life unto death. Nobody's ever born again, 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 once. So the Bible says here that if we, we can believe. Uh, look at Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. The Bible is very clear about who can go to heaven. Whosoever will. Someone came to the evangelist, D.L. Moody. They said, Mr. Moody, they're talking a lot about this thing of election. It's not a new thing. It's an old thing. Talk a lot about this thing of election. God elects some to heaven. God elects some to hell. Do you believe in election? He said, absolutely, I do. And they said, wow, I'm surprised. Would you clarify that? He said, it's simple. The whosoever wills are selected to heaven. The whosoever wants are elected for hell. It's just that simple, right? I mean, this is pretty plain. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3, verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men call slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any, except those number two elects by Calvinism, should perish. No, that's not in there. 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How in the world can you tell me from the Bible that God wants anyone to go to hell? You can't. God is not willing that any should perish. God is willing that all should come to repentance. You want to kill Calvinism? One verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. Nails it, buries it. What else could you do to it? You could fry it with 10,000 degrees. You could, uh, what do you call that? You could radiate it. You could um, uh, cremate it, okay? You could sprinkle its ashes to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. One verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. Now, let's go, because we need more than one verse. The Lord is clearly not willing that any should perish. Look at John 7. And the Lord is willing that all should come to repentance. And you know, there's always a way people want to explain these verses away. Don't explain them away, just believe them. They're just so simple. I mean, there's so many of them. John 7, verse 37. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man who is predestined thirst... Let him come unto me and drink. <laughs> no, he didn't say that, did he? He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me as the scripture has said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He said, if any man thirst, all you have to do to go to heaven is be thirsty for Christ. And he said he would supply your need. Romans chapter 1 and then Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who was that? That was every lost person that ever lived. Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is not a sinner too sinful for God to save. Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This morning I quoted 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul said. If he could save the chief, he doesn't have a problem with all the little Indians, does he? Of course not. First Timothy chapter number two. There is not a sinner too sinful for God to save. God's will is that all men would be saved. How then could some say that he only chose some to be saved? First Timothy chapter two, verse number three. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Wow. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for how many? All to be testified in due time. He wants all men to be saved. Verse 4. He gave himself a ransom for all. Why would that be necessary if all couldn't be saved? Why would that be necessary if some are doomed to hell and they can't do anything about it? First Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those 
that believe. So he's the savior for all men, of all men. And those who believe, he's their savior because they put their faith in him. He's available to all. Not everyone makes him their savior, but all can. Last point is this. And it's under point number one. It's the eighth thing, okay? I didn't give you the other seven. But Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter number one. First John chapter number one. And then we're going to look eventually here at the last verse in John chapter 4. First John, chapter number 1, and verse number 9. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's funny. The same person that doesn't believe that Christ died for all of the world and all the sins of the world believes that they can have all their sins forgiven. That's the same word, all, isn't it? That's kind of funny. It's sad. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, the payment made for the sins, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ is the payment made. Is paid, he paid for the sins of the whole world, not just for some. And therefore, he is able to offer himself as the Savior of the whole world. Look at 1 John 4. 1 John 4. And verse number 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. There are so many verses that Christ came for all. He died for all. He paid for the sins of all. He wants all men to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved. All, everyone, whosoever will. There are a few verses that you scratch your head and go, I wonder what that means. You have to be able to reconcile this by the overwhelming evidence of all. Look at one last verse, John 4. John 4 and verse number 42. From the passage we read this morning about the woman at the well. John 4, 42, And saith unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's everyone. Thank God Christ came to save the world. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us are under the same condemnation. All of us are sinners. All of us are guilty. And Christ came to save everyone. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl from the beginning of time until time is no more. Everyone can be saved if they will want to.